extend Christian greetings to you this evening as we have met to worship the one that is worthy, as Brother Nathan has said, and I appreciate the prayers and support of you all that I received uh, confirmation in various ways. And I, I view this evening as a team effort. We're here to worship the Lord together. And on the telephone, you don't always know who's listening. And actually, I'm going to invite you all to help me in on that here momentarily. A couple weeks ago, I was talking to a lady on the phone at work. And she said she's going to be listening in this evening. So I'm going to give you opportunity... If you would her greetings, I want you to raise your hand after you find out who it is. I was talking to Sister Ethel Reed Brenhamer. So how many would like to send greetings to her? Okay, Ethel, you've got a good raise of hands. So I'm sure she appreciated your response. This evening, the title of the message is By the Sacrifice of Himself. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. I want to read uh, in the opening scripture uh, verses 11 to 28 of Hebrews chapter 9. In the first part of Hebrews 9, it's telling us about worship in the earthly tabernacle in the Old Testament dispensation. And then in starting at verse 11, it says, the word is but, and it says, But Christ, being come a high priest of good things, to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not with this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but this own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by the means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that we were under the first day, which are called great, might be received the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also be the necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all where the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves, the goats, with water, scarlet wool, hyssop, sprinkled both the book, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, 
He sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but unto heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then he must often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it appointed I, but after this the judgment. So Christ has once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto him that look to him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Let's look at verse 26 briefly, and this is my text verse, and I want to look at the second half of that verse, and I want to look at these five different areas. The first area is, but once. And if you notice in our reading and throughout the scriptures this evening, he did it once. In the Old Testament, it was continually, but Christ did it once. Second thing I want to look at, it, when did he do this? He did it in the end of the world. How did he do it? He appeared himself. The fourth, re, the fourth point is that he put away sin. And how did he do it? By the sacrifice of himself. And that's the title of the message. And then we want to look at the results and our response. You know, people say they sacrifice their time and their money and they do many things for worthy causes. In some cultures, even today, children are sacrificed to gods. In some cases, kings or presidents sacrifice soldiers or civilians to gain power and land. But Jesus, by the sacrifice of himself, gave us eternal life. And that is also an interesting point, that Jesus sacrificed himself. In all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, it was done by the priest. And the sacrifice had no uh, decision in the matter. Can you imagine with me how Jesus must have felt and what thoughts went through his mind when he was in heaven before he came to earth? <clears throat> Did he think like this? Is there any other way for sin to be taken care of once and for all? And I remind you that later in the garden, he, he raised that question to his father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Do you suppose he came to the conclusion 
that at the end of his life on earth, I must give myself as the only sacrifice that will be an atonement forever. And if you read Hebrews 7, 8, and 9, it's interesting to note the comparisons of the earthly high priest and Jesus. So while we're here in Hebrews, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. I want to look at a few verses from Hebrews chapter 7, thinking about the term once. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 22. By so much that Jesus made a surety of a better testament, that he truly... They were truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore it is he is able to save them to the uttermost that came unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as his high priest to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for he did it once, and he offered up himself. He did it once, and he was our guarantee, and he continueth forever, and, and notice these, uh, like in verse 25, it's seeing that he liveth and maketh intercession for them. And he was blameless, pure, and higher than the heavens. And he did it once. And that's why it says in the the scriptures that if we reject Jesus, there remaineth no other sacrifice for us, and we open him up afresh. When did he do this? He did it in the end of the world, or the end of the age. And I believe the sense here is it was at the end of the Old Testament dispensation when it talks about the end of the age. There was 400 years of darkness and before Jesus came. And I don't know if we can contemplate how that was. There was lots of misunderstandings, just like it is today. People were following cults or their own ideas or the rules, and they, but they didn't know the Father or the Son. And it was 400 years of darkness. And, you know, it's so refreshing to think about John uh, the Baptist's parents. What kind of people they were. Do you know it says that they were both righteous before God and walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord blameless? And they were to tail into that 400 years of darkness. That's such a blessing. And we can be the same today in the dark times we're living in. And I don't need to tell you it's getting worse. 
But then as it says in Galatians 4, But in the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. When the fullness of time was come. And that's exactly when Jesus is coming back the second time. When the fullness of time was come. You know, I heard a man, I heard of a man that back in 1926, he said that nothing else can be invented. Everything that can be invented has been invented. 1926. And you know, there are people that were maybe 50 years ago saying the world can't get any more wicked. Jesus is just about ready to come. Let's don't be too sure. God's mercy. He, he's not willing that one person should perish. And you know, we, the war in Ukraine is awful and it's terrible. And there's a lot of deaths and suffering. Persecution of all kinds. Atrocities. But did you know the church is rebounding? It's getting stronger. People are coming to God. And if we truly believe the scripture that one soul is worth more than the whole world, is it any wonder Jesus is not coming back yet because of his mercy, by the sacrifice of himself? Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. I want to read the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1. We're thinking about in the end of the world or at the end of the age is when Jesus came the first time. God, who had sundry times and divers manners spake in times past to the fathers of the prophets, has in these last days spoken by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir over all things, by whom all things he hath made the world, who being in the brightness of his glory and expressed image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, whom he hath by himself purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he hath inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And again, at the end of the age, in the last days, you know, in the Old Testament dispensation, he spoke by the prophets in various ways and times. And now when Jesus came, and he was in the brightness of the glory of his Father. And I just like that. And if you'll notice this evening in the scriptures that we read, it says that he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And he's there at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And that should give us courage and strength in dark days and in dark times. And when we face situations, we hardly know where to turn. And that he's in the image of God. And, and can you grasp that fact? That he is there and one of his purposes that he's at the right hand of the Father is to intercede for you and me. That's his position. And why does he need to intercede for you and me? Be, to make sure 
that we are strong and that we're faithful in whatever we face, that we will be able to say on the judgment day, it, we should be able to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And the reason that we will hear those words is because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Because he gave his life, as it says in our verse, a sacri he sacrificed himself. Let's go to the third part of that verse. He talks about he appeared. Okay, Jesus was in the presence of the Father in heaven before he came. And Jesus himself came. That's such a blessing. He didn't send somebody else. He didn't send one of the uh, Michaels. And you know, when we're in, a, in, in certain situations, when, a, when we're dealing on a certain project, and, and it, well, in our eyes, if an important person takes time to meet with us or to help us in a certain situation, we're, we're, we're full of gratitude. And this is even greater. It says that Jesus appeared. And when he appeared on the earth, the angels announced his appearance. And at the time of Jesus' baptism, there was a voice in heaven. This is my son whom I am well pleased. And think about when he was crucified during the leading up to that, that the light turned into darkness and there was an earthquake because it was the Son of God. And when Paul was in his defense, was speaking to King Agrippa, he said this thing was not done in a corner or in secret. And I like it as it says in Titus 3, chapter 4. It's talking about, maybe I should back up. To verse 3, it says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts, pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared... Now let me back up. The Savior has a... Toward men appeared. Now, you can take that two ways. You can say, well, that's when Jesus came to the earth. Or you can say that that's when Jesus came into your heart and you were saved. I think either way is fine. Of course, the first way is Jesus appeared. And, it's, and in that verse, did you catch it? It said it was the kindness of God's love is why Jesus appeared on this earth. Maybe we should turn to uh, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 verses 5 and 8 while we're thinking about his appearance. 1 John 3 5 says, And we know that he was manifest to take away our sins and in him is no sin. So another word you could use for the word manifest is appeared. 
And that was his reason for coming to take away our sins. And in verse 8, it says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this is the purpose of the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That was the reason he came to earth, was to destroy the works of the devil. Do we, do we notice how great an impact that his first coming had upon the earth and the inhabitants? And there's going to be a greater impact when he comes the second time. If, you thought, if, if the angels announced his appearance and the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased at all compared to the next time. It says, every eye shall see him because he, came, he appeared to put away the next time he appeared, he will take the saints with him. Now the next phrase, the next phrase in our verse I'm looking at, after he appeared, he, he, the reason was to put away sin. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10 for a few verses. Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 1 to 4, Hebrews 10. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year after year continually make the comers thereof perfect. For then would they have not ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year for it is not possible by the blood of bulls and of goats that should take away sin. I don't know if we can grasp the truth there. And we should, I hope, show our appreciation by that fact. Again, he appeared to do it. He only did it one time and it's forever. Now let's go down to verse 9. It says, And he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which we are all sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. Every priest standeth daily ministering, oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sin, sat down at the right hand of God. There you have it again. Once. And he sat down at the right hand of God. And he's been at the right hand of God ever since he's been here the first time. Can you imagine that? Brother Nathan in the... In the in his devotional read from Revelation 5, and it's, did you catch, it's about verse 8 maybe, that the prayers of the saints 
are coming up before God as a incense and offering. I like to think of that as the prayers of the saints of all the ages. And you know, we, we let me back up. We pray to God sometimes and our prayers are answered. Praise God. And sometimes prayers don't seem to be answered. And sometimes we don't know if our prayers ever will be answered. But our prayers are still going up for God as a sweet savor. It's, it's like our prayers take a visible form before God. And then, and then if you're like me, sometimes we don't even know how to pray anymore. The words get off. And we don't know what to say. And I want you to claim the promise here in Romans 8. 8.26. Now claim this verse when you run out of words you're trying to pray. When you pray year after year maybe, or when you get up against the wall and you don't know which way to turn. Now remember that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not that we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes a mission for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now claim that promise. Jesus is sitting right there at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. And the Spirit is providing the words because we don't have them. I just hope that truth grips us that because Jesus came to earth to sacrifice of himself, to put away sin, and he's returned to the Father. And when you run out of words, claim Romans 8.26. Now, back to Hebrews. We were at Hebrews 10, 1 to 4, then 9 to 12. And then I want verse 17. And after their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Did you catch that? That's a promise. He's talking about you and me. That our sins and the, our iniquities, I will remember no more. And you could say, well, God knows all things. And Jesus as well. And you can explain this maybe a number of different ways. But the most important way is it will not be hell against us. We are free because Jesus sacrificed himself for us. There was a poem I glanced at recently. It's called The Sacrifice by George Hubert in 1633. And there was one phrase in there that stood out. It said that, and this was a, presented as a narrative of Jesus speaking throughout this poem. And he said, man stole the fruit, but I must climb the tree. 
Jesus was referring to being on the cross because man stole the fruit, the sacrifice of himself. Let's turn, let's look at the next aspect in this verse. It says, by the sacrifice of himself. And that's where I've got the title for the message. Let's turn to Luke 22. The sacrifice of himself. Now the first aspect of this, let's... I'm thinking that Jesus sacrificed himself emotionally and then, of course, physically. He gave himself. So Luke 22, 39 to 44. Luke 22:39. It says, And he came and went as he was wrought to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. When he was come at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven and strengthened him. And being in such agony, he prayed more earnestly, and sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down on the ground. I'm saying this is the period when Jesus was giving himself emotionally. And notice that he interceded to the Father that this cup could be taken away. And I'll... It's a beautiful thing how the Father supported the Son in this time of, of deep agony, deep suffering, and deep motion. And in verse 43 it says, An angel appeared unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And I like to believe that you and I as God's saints, when we're faithful to him, when we cry out to God, as it says there in Romans 8:26 When the Spirit intercedes for us, God will strengthen us. He strengthens Jesus by sending an angel, and God has ways of strengthening us, whether it's through other saints, situations that are positive following our struggle. Now let's turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. This is the part that I'm saying as he was giving himself physically here in John 18, 1 to 8. And notice, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, which was the garden into the, which he entered with his disciples. Judas also him knew the place. For Jesus oftentimes returned thither with his disciples. Judas, then having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth 
and said unto them, Whom seek ye? Can you imagine that? It says that Jesus, knowing what was going to come to pass, he, he went forth. He presented. He, he was like he was leading the pack of his disciples. And he said, Here I am. He didn't run off and hide. He, it says he went forth. And they answered him, They're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And he said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell on the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. It was like Jesus had to go overboard to convince them that he was Jesus. And he knew what they was going to do with him. And he said, <clears throat> he answered, I told you that I am he, and if therefore you seek me, let's go their way. Now, stump down to verse 33. No, I'm sorry. Verse 12 is what I want. Verse 12. Then the band and the captain and the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. I'm saying there he gave himself physically after he gave himself emotionally. Let's look at a few verses from Luke chapter 23, verse 26. Luke 23, 26. And when they led him away, they laid upon him one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country and out of him of the land of the cross. Let me back up. Let me read it again. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Verse 33 of this same chapter, and when they were coming to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him with the malefactors, one on the right hand and one on the left. Verse 46, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Having said thus, he gave up the ghost. That was the results of him sacrificing himself, emotionally and physically, for you and for me. And what was the result of that? Over in uh, chapter 24 of Luke 6 and 7, he is not here, but he is risen. How he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and rise the third day. Can you grasp what he suffered for you and for me? And it says he sacrificed himself. Totally, voluntarily, totally intentional, totally free. 
We was, last Saturday night, my wife and I were in Waynesboro, Virginia, and the SMBI course was there, and they had been touring around this past week on stateside with a Spanish program, getting ready to go to the Dominican Republic, is where they are now. And most of their program was um, Spanish songs, but there was a few English songs in there. And there's one phrase I want to read to you out of the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And this is the phrase, Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. What was his reward? It was death. And you and I have gained from that. And so we're speechless. We, we can't fathom how that we are gaining from his reward. You know, sometimes when we reflect on Jesus, his suffering, and when we reflect on all that he has done for us and is doing for us and will do for us in the future, what, what is, should be our response? What is our response? And why do we fail? Why do we get led away in temptation? Why do we stumble? Why do we fall? And, and just just get, give you a few verses from Psalm uh, 116. This is the Psalm David. David was a man after God's own heart. And he raises a good question here. He says, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits for me? That's a good question. And that's a question be good for us to you know, what can we do for God, for Jesus, for what he's accomplished for us? And I maintain that the next verse has the answer. And it's the highest praise, it's the highest blessing, it's the highest offering and sacrifice man can give back to God. And it says this, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. That should be our response. Can you imagine? Jesus is in heaven right now interceding at the Father. And as he looks down on the earth and sees the masses on the way to hell, totally ignoring his appearance on earth, 2,000 years ago. And shame on us as his people that we are not more progressive in letting others know who Jesus is. Then the next verse elaborates on that. What does that mean, taking the cup of salvation? It says, I will pay my vows unto God now and in the presence of his people. So to me, that's the same as Jesus was in his life. He wasn't in a corner. He wasn't secret. And so when we take the cup of salvation, we need to be open about it in front of everybody and everywhere. 
And it says that we're going to fulfill the vows that we made unto God. And so, as the familiar verses are from Romans 12, 1 and 2, that would be the working out of taking the cup of salvation and making your vows visible to people. You're presenting your body, as it says in those two verses, a living sacrifice. And it's going to be acceptable to God because you're not conformed to this world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you're proving what the will of God is yourself. And like the baptismal vow, number four of the baptismal vow says that you're going to be willing to renounce Satan, your carnal wills and sinful desires. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For ye know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, though he in his poverty might be rich. Galatians 1, 4, and 5, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Shall we sing?